Being a Better Man, Episode 60. You have just entered a world governed by personal accountability where being a man is not an excuse for bad behavior, where complaints are not allowed, whining is forbidden, and excuses do not exist. Prepare to have your thoughts provoked, your ego challenged, and your character tested. It's time for Being a Better Man. Here's your host and fellow man in the trenches, Alf Herrickstad. Hey everybody, welcome back to another edition of Being a Better Man. This is episode 60 which is kind of a big deal. I'm glad you're with me today. I'm your host. My name is Alf Herigstad. This episode is being released on Friday, June 10th, 2016. Exactly one week ago today, I got the news that Muhammad Ali had died. You may or may not know, but I was also a boxer, and I was keenly attuned to the fighters of my day. And when I was growing up, Muhammad Ali was the heavyweight champion of the world. Hearing of his death made me feel many things. He was a piece of my life, after all. He was an icon during a very influential period of my growing up. News of his death caused me to ponder the memories of this man, this legend. And as I sat there reflecting... My admiration for him was rekindled, and it occurred to me that I should honor his passing with an episode devoted to him. Because there are examples and lessons this man gave the world, both in and out of the ring, that we should all pay attention to, especially if we're committed to being better men. I never talk about sports on this show, but I'm making an exception here. If you hate boxing... Just bear with me. This isn't so much about boxing as it is about the man. So, this episode is in memory of Muhammad Ali. Like I said, I was a boxer. I always loved boxing. I remember watching Friday Night Fights most every week. I was fascinated with the sweet science, as it's called. It seemed to me at the time to be about the most tough the most manly thing a guy could do because there wasn't any team to rely on. It was just you against that other guy and somebody had to win. It required that you be 100% both physically and mentally. If either of those things slipped, you would experience immediate consequences that you might not be able to get up from. These were the things that first attracted me to the sport. After watching a fight, I would get all excited and go down to our basement, and I'd punch on a mattress that was leaning against the wall. My first memories of Muhammad Ali was when I was about nine years old, in 1971. I watched his fight with Joe Frazier. It was billed as the fight of the century, because they were both undefeated at the time. I'd heard a lot about Ali, most of it not that good, There was always talk about how arrogant he was and what a loudmouth he was and how he acted at the weigh-ins, calling other fighters names and taunting them. A lot of people were also unhappy with his refusal to go to Vietnam. Being a kid, I tended to believe the things the grown-ups said, so I felt the same way. I was also kind of confused because some people called him Muhammad Ali and other people called him Cassius Clay. I didn't know what was going on. I think everybody in my house was rooting for Frazier in that fight. 
and we were happy when Ali lost. It was the third fight since his license had been reinstated and his suspension revoked for violating the draft, and it was the very first loss of his career. After that, Ali won his next ten fights, and I watched many of them. I still didn't like him very much, but I was definitely beginning to admire him. His confidence was amazing and contagious. His clever use of words was entertaining. He seemed to be absolutely immune to fear, and that captivated me. He was kind of like a superhero. Then in 1973, Ollie lost another fight, this time to Ken Norton. Ollie got his jaw broken this one, and I was there to see it on the TV. By now, I was 11 years old. A few months later, he had a rematch with Joe Frazier, and this time, he won. It was around this time that I had read a biography of another boxer, Rocky Marciano. It was a book that changed my life and convinced me that someday I was going to be the heavyweight champ of the world myself. I had a job that summer picking strawberries. When the season was over and we got paid, I used the money to buy my very first pair of boxing gloves. In October of 1974, I saw the fight that became a spectacle in the media. It was called the Rumble in the Jungle. It took place in Zaire, wherever that was. And Ali was fighting a guy named George Foreman for the heavyweight championship he had lost to Joe Frazier. It was very exciting. George Foreman was a huge, menacing guy who never smiled. He seemed very angry. He was very imposing, and they said he might be the hardest puncher ever. None of the reporters or announcers thought Ali had a chance of winning. He was a huge underdog. He was 32 years old now, and Foreman was just a beast. But, as usual, Ali was confident and colorful before the fight. He told interviewer David Frost, If you think the world was surprised when Nixon resigned, wait till I whoop Foreman's behind. <laughs> he told the press, I've done something new for this fight. I done wrestled with an alligator. I done tussled with a whale. Handcuffed lightning, thrown thunder in jail. Only last week I murdered a rock, injured a stone, hospitalized a brick. I'm so mean I make medicine sick. <laughs> that was classic Muhammad Ali. The people in Zaire loved Ali's antics, and he was a huge favorite with the local crowd. Ali kept taunting Foreman after the fight started. Then in the second round, Ali introduced his patented rope-a-dope technique which was basically hanging on the ropes and inviting Foreman to hit him. Foreman, the hardest puncher there was. It looked bad, but, but most of Foreman's punches were glancing off and Ali was getting some counter punches in. What looked like suicide turned out to be a brilliant strategy, because by the eighth round, Foreman was exhausted from doing all that punching. They came to the middle of the ring and Ali dropped him with a ferocious flurry of punches. Ali was once again the undisputed heavyweight champion of the world. After that, Ali won his next three fights, and then in October of 1975, he had his third and final fight with Smokin' Joe Frazier. This fight, in my estimation, was one of the greatest heavyweight fights of all time. It was called the Thrilla in Manila. It took place in the Philippines. 
Ollie and Fraser pretty much hated each other. Ollie said Joe was ugly and dumb. He carried around this little rubber gorilla and said it was Fraser. This fight was hyped up to the max. By this time, I had become a fan of Ollie in spite of his unorthodox ways and loud, arrogant behavior. Because what others saw as arrogance, I was beginning to recognize as pure confidence. The difference being that he was able to back up everything he said. He was right. He was the greatest. This fight was a war, plain and simple. They pummeled each other for the whole fight, each of them taking blows that could kill a regular guy on the street. Finally, before the final bell, Frazier's corner threw in the towel. After the fight, both men spent several days in the hospital, and Ali later said it was the closest he ever came to death. It was around this time that I actually started boxing myself. My parents had found me a trainer, and I was doing it. I was actually becoming a boxer. I was 13. Mostly, I was getting beat up by heavyweight pros at a gym up in Seattle, but I was learning, and I was getting better, and actually being in the ring gave me a whole new appreciation for what was going on when I watched boxing on TV. After the thriller in Manila, Ollie only had 10 more fights. Toward the end, he lost the title to Leon Spinks and then won it back in their rematch, making him the only heavyweight to capture the title three times in a career. He retired from boxing in 1981. By this time, I was 19 years old. I had had an argument with my trainer and joined the Army instead of turning pro, figuring I could pick up boxing while I was in and turn pro when I got out. But three kids later, I never did turn, return to the ring in that capacity. So that's a snapshot of Ollie's career. Now let's talk about the man. I've talked a lot about things like confidence and courage on this program, and Muhammad Ali had plenty of both. So much so that a lot of people didn't like him for it. People weren't used to a man talking about how pretty and handsome he is, saying he's the greatest and, act and acting as though everyone else was beneath him. People weren't used to it, and it made some uncomfortable. I would agree that sometimes he went a little overboard, like when he fought Sonny Liston for the title when he was 22, he said Liston was a big, ugly bear. He even smelled like a bear, and after he knocked him out, he was going to donate him to the zoo. <laughs> what a lot of people don't get is that all of that was part strategy, just getting into his opponent's heads. And it was part sheer entertainment, and it brought record numbers of people to watch the fights. The other part was just raw confidence in its purest form. He knew what he could do. He knew how hard he trained, and he knew he was one of the greatest boxers that ever lived. Instead of being modest and shrinking from that truth, he embraced it. He owned it. He was also a man of great conviction. He converted to the Nation of Islam shortly after winning the title the first time. Whether or not you agree with that religion, or his name change from Cassius Clay to Muhammad Ali, or his subsequent decision to not be inducted into the military, it's irrelevant. In my opinion, it doesn't matter if we agree with those things or not. The important thing to be admired here is the fact that he stood his ground. He stood for what he believed in. He was facing five years in prison, a $10,000 fine, and the loss of a lucrative career. And he looked him in the eye and said, Take me to jail. 
Those people over there never did anything to me. I'm not going to go killing these poor people that never did anything against me. And for that, he was arrested and his license suspended. I, for one, am inspired any time a person has the balls to make a stand on something they believe in, even if I don't agree with them. It's the ability and willingness to stand that is noteworthy. He inspired a lot of people with his stance, including Martin Luther King. And three years later, the draft board unanimously overturned their decision, and he got his license to box back. It wasn't without cost, though. He had lost his best years as a boxer. He was suspended from the age of 25 to 29, the prime of a boxer's life. Three years after he retired, it was announced that Ali had been diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. Some speculate that he fought a couple of his last fights in the early stages of this disease. In his retirement, Ali devoted much of his time to philanthropy and helping people. He was involved in raising funds for the Muhammad Ali Parkinson Center in Phoenix, Arizona. Over the years, Ali also supported the Special Olympics and the Make-A-Wish Foundation and many, many other organizations. In 1996, he lit the Olympic cauldron at the Summer Olympic Games in Atlanta, and it was a very emotional moment in sports history. In 1991... He traveled to Iraq during the Gulf War to negotiate the release of American hostages with Saddam Hussein. Ali traveled to numerous countries, including Mexico and Morocco, to help out those in need. In 1998, he was chosen to be a United Nations messenger of peace because of his work in developing nations. In 2005, Ali received the Presidential Medal of Freedom from President George Bush, he also opened the Muhammad Ali Center in his hometown of Louisville, Kentucky, that same year. In the Philippines, there's a mall named after him, the Ali Mall, in his honor. He did a lot of great, amazing things, both in and out of the ring, for sure. But one of the things that speaks the loudest to me about his accomplishments is whenever I see one of his nine children interviewed, his children speak of him with sincere love respect, and gratitude about the way they were raised, the love he showed them, and the things that he taught them. That, in my opinion, is the true and final measure of a man's legacy, how you are remembered and spoke of by the people that knew you best. I could probably go on talking for the rest of the day, but I have to wrap this up sometime. You will be missed, Muhammad Ali. Your impact your footprint, not only on the world of sports, but in the hearts and imaginations of so many others, is indelible and will last a very long time. Rest well, Muhammad Ali. May your spirit find peace in the loving embrace of your ancestors. Thank you for inspiring the world in a time when we needed inspiration. Thank you for all the people you helped and for being an example of what a human can do. You showed us that we all have the ability to be a better man today than we were yesterday if we make that our priority. Until next time, this is Alf Herigstad, signing out.